Now, the rates of depression and suicide continue to climb, and anxiety is now considered to be a childhood epidemic. Today, my guest, Sissy Goff, will be speaking to us about how to help kids handle their emotions. Sissy Goff is the Director of Child and Adolescent Counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. Since 1993, she has been helping girls and parents find confidence in who they are and hope in who God is making them to be, both as individuals and families. Sissy is a sought-after speaker for parenting events and the author of 12 books. She is a regular contributor to various podcasts and publications, as well as her own podcast called Raising Boys and Girls. Welcome to the Gems of Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Sharon Khan. I'm here to connect you with some amazing gems of mothers and professionals from all walks of life. Each week, you'll hear interviews as well as resources and actionable tips that you can implement in your daily life to be the best gem God has called you to be. Thanks for walking this journey with me today, and don't forget to subscribe to the show. Welcome to the Gems of Motherhood podcast, Sissy. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you, Sharon. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, I am so excited. I have been waiting to have you on the show. Um, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, my counseling assistant, Lucy. My dog is barking at the door, so I apologize. No, that's that's no worry, you know. Um, she wants to be on the show, too. <laughs> Put her on the show. <laughs> <laughs> now, Cece, as a counselor, I'm sure you have seen the cases of anxieties rising in children. So tell me something. Do you think this is an issue that is more prevalent in girls or boys? That's a great question. And yes, the rates have been rising. I mean, the rates were rising exponentially before we even hit the pandemic. And now in the midst of it, we were looking at one in four kids. Now we're looking at one in three and girls are twice as likely as boys to experience anxiety. Oh, wow. And as a matter of fact, another interesting part of that is girls are twice as likely to experience it, but boys are more likely to be taken for help. Hmm. Why do you take them for therapy? Why do you think that's an issue? Why do you think that girls are suffering twice as much as boys? And why are boys being taken into therapy compared to girls? Well, it's a lot of factors, I think, contributing to what's more significant in girls. I think part of it is I would say I've been counseling girls now for almost 30 years, which is a long time. And I have never seen girls feel as much pressure I think as they do now. And it's not just, it's not necessarily that their parents are putting the pressure on them. I sit with plenty of parents who say she drives herself so hard academically and we don't even care. Mm. It's her. It's it's that she's putting this pressure on herself. And so I think they're feeling this pressure from all areas to excel. That's really significant. I think technology is contributing to it. Social media, which girls tend to be more into than boys. That's a part of it. I think sometimes our parenting styles contribute to it, which we can circle back around to. But, But I think what's hard in girls versus boys is that Boys often, you know, I talk about, I've written a couple of books for parents about anxiety and two for kids. And I talk about how kids lean toward being more exploders or imploders. And I think boys often explode. So you're going to see when they're feeling anxious, it's going to come out as anger so Mm -hmm. often because anger is considered a secondary emotion. So there's something else underneath it. But for girls who are anxious, they're often perfectionistic. They're high achieving. They're conscientious. They're really bright. And so as a parent, 
they look like what you want your kids to look like. I mean, they're doing all the right things from a rule following standpoint. And so I think sometimes we end up inadvertently reinforcing the very things that are symptoms of their anxiety and missing that that's what's really going on. And so I think it's easier to end up taking boys thinking something's wrong than she looks like she's doing great and being successful when really it's fear driven. Right. And also, I think as a woman, I would think that sometimes I'd be like, I can handle it because I can multitask. And that probably is the same for girls if we were to kind of take a step back. So why why do you think, you know, do you think they lack the coping skills of dealing with their anxieties and emotions and how can we help them? That is such a good question. And yes, I think kids lack coping skills today more than they ever have before. Mm. And, and I think part of that is, I think we have done a great, I think we've come a really long way in teaching kids more about emotions. I think they can express their emotions better than they ever have generationally. I think they're in touch with their emotions in really great ways, but I think we've kind of stopped there. And in the Raising Worry-Free Girls is the book I wrote for parents of girls, but it works for boys too. And then I have a book for elementary age girls and one for teenagers. And and all three of those books I broke down into understanding and then help and then hope. Mm -hmm. Because we've got to start with understanding, which Mm -hmm. is some of kind of helping them get in touch with what's happening emotionally. But unless we move to help, then they're going to get stuck, which is so often what happens with anxiety. And so I think some of it is... We don't give them the coping skills. I think sometimes we give them and the kids themselves don't step into it because, you know, we can talk about kind of the mechanics of anxiety. But, you know, if you think about it on a one to 10 scale, the time to start implementing coping skills is at two not at nine. And so often kids will wait till they're really, or we will, till we're really kind of melting down or having a panic attack, which is what it would really be called Mm -hmm. until we start to try and intervene. And then it's too far gone. And so I think we've got to teach them interventions and we've got to teach them interventions early to make a difference. Right. I like what you said, you know, teaching them at two and not at nine years old, because I have a three-year-old and even at two years old, they're going through so many different kinds of emotions and they're learning and trying to cope with what it means being frustrated, what it means being angry, what it means being sad. And as a professional like yourself, how would you recommend or how would you advise for parents to try to teach these young kids in trying to understand and cope with their emotions? Well, so I'll tell you my first three things I do in counseling of tools that I give kids. The first is, I mean, kind of the science behind the first one is that when you and I are having a conversation like today and we're both feeling calm, we have blood flowing all throughout our brain, Mm -hmm. including going to the prefrontal cortex that helps us think rationally and manage our emotions. When we get really anxious, the blood flow in our brain shift and it leaves that prefrontal cortex and it goes to the amygdala, which is what dictates fight or flight. And so when parents will say they're acting like a crazy person. Well, yes, because the thinking part of their brain isn't even getting blood. It's not working. And so until we can calm the body down, they're not capable of doing anything different. Mm. And so the way that I teach kids to do it is I have them draw a square on their leg 
And with each line of the square, breathe a different way. So like inhale, pause in the corner for three seconds. Exhale, pause in the corner for three seconds. Over and over because 20 seconds of deep breathing resets the amygdala. Mm. So we start with breathing and then we want to do something. I always talk about anxiety with kids. Like it's like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. They get stuck on something and they can't get themselves off of it. And so then we want to do something to kind of pull them out of that loop that requires focus. So for example, anything that's sensory related requires focus and you can do the breathing and you can even do this with little ones. You know, tell me five things you see right now. Five, four, three, two, one is my favorite. Five things you see, four things you hear three things you feel, two things you smell, one thing you taste. And mm. that pulls their focus back to what's happening right now. And then as they get older, we want to teach them that they're stronger than their worries. And so a lot of times, one of my favorite things to do is to have them name their worry, like call it the worry monster or whatever name they want to come up with it. And then they can say, worry monster, you're not the boss of me. I'm not listening to you. You don't have any power over me. Because when we separate the, you know, we all have voices in our heads that Mm -hmm. tell us certain things. And when we separate that out, it takes away its power. And so those are my first three breathing, then the like grounding kind of things that require focus and then helping them name the worry. And I think those three things can make a huge difference. Mm. That's awesome. Well, Helping a child handle their emotions is one thing, right? But requiring to have intentional conversations with them. When a child gets a little bit older, we'll have to sit down and have those intentional conversations. How can we be purposeful about our conversations with our children? That's a good question, too. You have great questions. Um, (laughs) I think... Taking the time is probably the first idea. So often we're so busy that it's mm-hmm. hard to do that. And and I think we were a lot more intentional probably when the pandemic began than we are now. Now we're just tired. Yeah. Um, and so I would say making sure you're creating time to do it. And then I think sitting with them and really focusing on what exactly what you said, asking questions, because so often our conversations end up being more us telling them Mm -hmm. what we think they should feel or what we think is the right thing to do in a situation. Kids across the board, their number one complaint to me about their parents is that their parents try to fix it. Mm. And so I think when we're talking with kids, my two favorite ideas to think about over are empathy and questions. So saying things like, that sounds like a really hard situation. Yeah, that would be tough for me too. What do you think would help? What do you think is the best thing to do in this situation? What do you feel like God would want you to do? Mm. And then helping them learn to connect the dots, because if we're connecting them for them, they won't want to do it themselves. Mm. Right. That's so true. And, and I think also, as parents, we need to be able to kind of help them to take a step because they may not necessarily know uh, what the issue is, even to begin with. And you were talking about exploders and imploders and how boys are much more of exploders. And we pretty much know what exploders are like. But can you share with me, how can we help girls who are mostly imploders, I assume, how can we help them in, in, in those situations where they probably just keep everything inside of them? And sometimes parents can, you know, as moms, we go about doing our own thing every single day and we may be blinded by, you know, what they're going through. So can you share yes. a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. And I do think there are girls who explode too, especially younger. Mm-hmm. And and often they don't have words to put to whatever is going on. And one of my favorite tools 
to help kids in that. I, I think so often kids who are feeling big, it is going to come out as anger or anxiety. And, and they don't necessarily understand what's going on at a deeper level. And so one of my favorite resources is just a simple feelings chart. And we have them on our website, raisingboysandgirls.com. But you can get on Pinterest and find a million of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think using them in two ways. One is if a child has exploded, or you can tell a child's struggling, not when they're, you know, really activated, but when they're when you can, they're tearful or after they've had some kind of meltdown to go back into their room and sit mm-hmm. down with a feelings chart and say, pick three things for me that you think you might've been feeling earlier. And even before they can read, they can pick out the faces on a feelings chart. Mm-hmm. And then I would say preventatively too, so often for girls who implode, because like we talked about, they're kids who are kind and trying hard and conscientious. They're not kids who want to say, I got really angry today, or I felt really disappointed even. And so the more we can help them proactively learn how to talk about a wide range of emotions, mm-hmm. it prevents it from being like a pressure valve that all comes out. And so I have families a lot get a feelings chart and bring it to the dinner table. And everybody pick three things you felt today. Mm. I think it's just good practice to be talking about our emotions in that That's way. That's such a great idea. I'm going to try to start that. <laughs> good. Be you know, I, I, we have, um, we have several books on feelings and emotions and um, it's, it's not an easy task, um, especially when you're trying to teach a younger child. You know, I, I mean, I've had moments where my daughter was frustrated and I had to teach her and say, what are you feeling? Are you feeling frustrated? And as I kept repeating certain type of emotions, when Whenever she's feeling the next time around, she'll tell us I'm frustrated. And I'm like, that's oh. great. <laughs> Why are you she's frustrated? <laughs> um, I know that you talked a little bit about some milestones. What are some emotional, spiritual and social milestones that you believe kids need to reach? That's a great question. We we have a book called Are My Kids on Track? Mm-hmm. And in it, we have four emotional, four social, and four spiritual milestones we believe all kids need to reach. And I will run that down for you. So the emotional milestones are vocabulary. So being able to name emotions, talk about what's going on, like we're talking about, then perspective. So if we're thinking about a one to 10 scale, thinking about how so many kids live at 10 all the time. And we know as adults, life really happens in the three to seven. And so teaching kids that sense of perspective is really important. And then third would be empathy. So not only am I aware of what I feel, but I'm learning to be aware of what other people feel. That's Mm -hmm. really important. And then the last emotional milestone would be resourcefulness, which is so much of, I think, even an antidote to anxiety is kids who feel like they're capable and they can do things. So those would be the four emotional milestones. The social milestones are awareness. So awareness of other people socially, you know, there are always kids who struggle with talking too loud, talking too long, standing too close that they don't, they're not able to read what we call social cues. Mm -hmm. And so all of these All these chapters in the book have practical applications for how to instill these in your kids. So awareness, ownership, learning to see, 
I had a part in this too. It's not just your fault. It might be a little bit of mine <laughs> and learning how to say I'm sorry. Reciprocity. So I ask you a question, then you ask me back in conversation that that's normal back and forth of healthy relationships. What did I say? Awareness, reciprocity, ownership, and then boundaries. Mm. So teaching kids what healthy boundaries look like socially is really important. And, and I think that looks different in girls and boys. And then spiritually, we would say the four milestones are foundation. So helping kids really develop a faith foundation in their younger years, Mm -hmm. then identity, helping them discover more of who they are in Christ. And then mercy. So that's the Mm. third have let helping them develop a sense of mercy and grace and understanding of that, which really, I think kids can start to understand that in middle school is when they get, get it in a whole different way because they realize how much they mess up, you know? And so their need for grace increases exponentially. And then the last would be meaning. So helping kids find a sense of purpose and Mm. that I can give back and make a difference to somebody else. Mm. As you were going through the list, you know, I could see how the emotional, spiritual and social milestones all tie in together. Because, you know, even when you spoke about identity, especially in our current situation in the world these days, a lot of children have confusion about identity. And so I think when each of these milestones are being met, I do think that the children will be able to truly know who they are in Christ. And of course, as parents, we are the people who are responsible to share with them as well and to really assure them they are who God created for them to be. And not all emotions are true. And yeah, (laughs) Right. <laughs> right. Yes. And so can you just enlighten us a little bit? Why do you think, apart from what was said earlier and what I shared a little bit, why do you think it's important for us moms to understand these milestones? Well, I think I would say, again, as a, a therapist with almost 30 years of, of experience counseling kids, I think kids are struggling to hit them in ways that they haven't ever before. And I think sometimes in our best of intentions as grownups who love these little people, we can get in the way a little bit, like Mm -hmm. resourcefulness as one example. I think so often kids don't develop the resourcefulness because we're doing it for them. I have a friend who told me um, several years ago, she said, I wish when I was growing up, my mom had said, you've got this more than let me get this for you. Mm. And that exactly. And I think really the milestones that we've talked about are not just they're Obviously, they're things we want to see kids hit as they're growing up. But when you think about awareness, when you think about reciprocity, I mean, we have all been at the dinner table with someone who does not know how to ask a question and show interest in the other person. You know, they're really the building blocks for healthy relationships and healthy emotional and spiritual just wholeness as a person for the rest of our lives. And so it feels like the blueprints that we build, who we become as adults, as parents, ourselves, as coworkers, as friends, all of those things that we're just shoring kids up for the future as we build into these milestones. Mm, That's a great. Now, what are some immediate actionable tips would you suggest to moms to help our children handle their emotions? Now, I know that you shared that getting the emotions chart out at the dinner table, that is really helpful. But are there other immediate actionable tips that you could share with us? 
Yes, I would say another one would be, I think every child needs to have a space in their home Mm. and you can name it whatever you want to, um, but kind of a corner. A lot of schools call it the calm corner or something like that, but where they go when they are having big feelings. And in that space, they have a list of really what we would consider coping strategies. So 10 things they can do hanging up and maybe it's depending on the age, it's color, it's draw. If you have an elementary school age boy, I would say a mini tramp is great to have in the corner, a little mini trampoline. Um, I have kids, families buy bubble wrap a lot that they can push (laughs) the bubble wrap, a journal if it's an older child, Um, anything that they can do that helps them kind of express and get out some of those emotions. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's two things. One is the coping skills list. I think every child, every family, it's a great thing to do around the dinner table if your kids are old enough to come up with a list of 10 things that help when you're feeling frustrated or when you're feeling sad. And it's a fascinating thing to ask kids because they really do know. Mm-hmm. And then I would help them find a place to go and do that. And so then when your child comes to you and you can tell they're feeling really big, you can say something like, this seems like a great time to go to your space. And then they can go and process and then come back and talk about it together. But if everybody is really accelerated emotionally, we're never going to get to a healthy place. Mm. And so to have time to kind of separate and deal with our own emotions then helps us come back to a more rational place together. And you're right. It's amazing how much kids know. Um, You know, it's just sometimes it's whether or not they know how to express those emotions. Um, I say that because every night before going to bed, I do some questions with my daughter before we go to prayer. And one of the questions is, how do you feel today? And for like last night, we lost one of her earrings. And so we were looking all over and then we couldn't find it. And so I said, so how do you feel right now? How do you feel today? She was like, I don't feel good. I lost my earrings. <laughs> and I said, That's okay. so great. She can say it. <laughs> I was kind of, I was surprised when she said, I don't feel good, you know, <laughs> because I lost my earring. And I was like, okay, well, let's pray and ask God for it. And as a mom, I'm praying, oh Lord, please show up with the earring. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we yes. haven't found it yet, but we hope we'll find it. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. But it is really a series of questions that I do go through with her every night. And that's actually one of the questions. How do you feel? How was your day? And how do you feel about it? And so we do share those kind of emotions. And and I liked all the other uh, tips that you shared as well. I think those are very, very helpful, especially in helping them identifying and be able to express because I think that would only make them a better communicator and be responsible for their own actions. <laughs> yes, yes, that's good. Now, we are pretty much almost at the end of the show. You have so much wealth of wisdom and gem nuggets to share with us. I would love to know, is there anything else that you would like to share with other gems of mothers out there? Oh, I think I would just say, I mean, I feel like we are in a place collectively in the world of feeling probably wearier than we've ever felt in a lot of ways. And I'm hearing that from parents in my office every day. And Mm. I think I would just say, if you're a mom who's listening to this, you're doing great. I mean, the fact that you would invest your time in listening to a parenting podcast (laughs) mean you care a lot (laughs) about your kids. And so I think just give yourself room, give yourself grace. I think it's never probably been more important than it is today. Mm. And trust your own gut and instincts as a mom. Yeah. That is a place God has really gifted you. 
Yeah. Trust your own gut and don't have any mom guilt, which is one of the number yes. one lie. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sissy, for coming on the Gems of Motherhood podcast. I really oh, appreciate so you coming on. You. Thank well, you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Gems of Motherhood podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more amazing Gems of Mothers and more resources, head over to gemsofmotherhood.com where you can subscribe to the show. That's where you'll find show notes with actionable tips and any links mentioned by our guest. Most importantly, I hope you will find inspiration and learn to cultivate your own journey. You are loved. You're an incredible gem to God. He knows you intimately. He knows what you're going through and he knows what you need. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in him. Be sure to tune in to next week for our next episode.